0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Watchman on the Wall is here each day to bring clarity to the chaos and remind everyone who tunes in that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. This week on the program, we'll join Dr. Lonnie Shipman on the search for the Ark of the Covenant, author Eric Metaxas reveals the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. And Steve Butler continues his teaching series on why you and I should study Bible prophecy. This Friday and Saturday, Southwest Radio Ministries heads to Johnson City, Tennessee for our next conference. Come join a full lineup of speakers as they bring clarity to the chaos with two full days of insight and information. This Friday and Saturday, March 3rd and 4th in Johnson City, Tennessee. Space is filling up fast. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or simply visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, and click on Events. Today, Greg Patton is joined by author and biblical scholar Dr. Lonnie Shipman to explore the ancient search for the Ark of the Covenant, and begin their examination, the coming temple of God. Born into a musical family,
1: he began piano training at age five, studying with his mother, who was head of the piano department for Arlington Baptist College and Bible Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Advancing quickly, He became a classical piano concerto at age 11 and winning piano competitions at age 13. Six years old, saved. We're talking to Dr. Lottie Shipman on today's Watchman on the Wall. Dr. Shipman, welcome to the program. Well, it's certainly a great blessing to be here. I've been so excited just reading some material on you, uh, your book. I watched a couple of YouTube videos of you at a church. You have an exciting life, sir. Maybe you can tell us a little something about it.
2: Well, it's just amazing how the war opened many doors. My father was already a pastor when I was born into a pastor's family. And my mother and father were both were heavily trained in music and Bible, were already had doctorate degrees in both areas. And so I was born into a family like this. All of my brothers and sisters, each of us play at least 10 instruments. Some of us play 12.
1: That's quite a feat, my brother. Very good. Thank you. You've been all over the country, all over the world.
2: Well, my first tour, when I was 16, I'd won an international competition again, my sixth one. And I was invited then in to tour internationally through America and several countries. And I toured 48 states and most of Canada. Canada's a lot of provinces. Covered most of that in one other country when I was 16. I met 48 governors all in three months.
1: That is incredible. I mean, that really is when you think about it. Were you saved at age six? Is this correct? You were age uh, six when you— I guess I was saved at age six. Uh-huh. How t- I started piano at four. How did you come to
2: know Christ as Savior? My father was a pastor, and uh, I was, of course, started church at two weeks old, <laughs> in youth camp at a month old. And when I was about four years old, we had an evangelist come through, a short man, and I liked him because he was little and I was little. Yeah. And he was preaching at the youth camp, and so he talked about how we're sinners, needing to be saved. I realized I was a sinner, but I didn't understand how to be saved. I understood part of it, but not quite everything in the gospel yet. I came forward to the camp to be saved, but no one dealt with me. So I feel like I was turning from my sin and turning to the Lord, but did not know how to believe in Jesus yet. And when I was six years old, my father was preaching one Sunday night about how many people confess their sin, but not everybody believes in Jesus personally as Savior. And I realized that's what I need to do. On the way home, I realized if I don't get saved, I might die and go to hell. And I envisioned myself going to the lake of fire. and I started crying on the way home. We lived about an hour from home from the church. And uh, so I started crying, saying, stop the car, stop it now. I've got to get saved. I've got to get saved now before I die and go to hell, you see. So they said, well, we can't stop the car. We're on an interstate. We had to come to an mm-hmm. exit. Well, I said, I don't care about an exit. Stop it now. What? I've got to get saved. Oh, well, soon we were, came to the very exit where we lived, and my father quickly stopped near at the home and showed me how to be saved.
1: And, of course, I've had eternal life. never doubted it ever since that day. We certainly rejoice with you. In that, salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's exciting, Dr. Shipman. Your last book available here at Southwest Radio Church was on music and science and Bible-based. And now this new book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, is much more archaeological as well as prophecy-based. How did you come to the point of being interested in searching out the ark, the ashes of the red heifer we're going to talk about in the coming temple? Where did this come from? I was burdened as a teenager to use piano
2: somehow for God. I was called to preach and confused about this and wondered, how can I use piano somehow as a preacher? I don't know any pastors that played the piano, especially Beethoven or something. I thought, well, maybe I can go overseas and draw people to hear a classical concert and preach to them. So a few years later, I was I was booked in Belgium and Holland, and a lifelong friend of the family was living in Israel, and he heard I was living, I was going to preach. In Europe, and so he said, "You get yourself on a plane and get over here, and I'll set you up everywhere preaching." He was like an uncle to the family. He is long time longtime friend. So I planned to go to Belgium, Holland, and then to Israel. And I was in Belgium and Holland about a month, and in Israel six and a half weeks. Now, when I got there, he immediately said, "Get in the car quick! The ambassador's waiting on you." The American ambassador? Yes, he's waiting. You've got to come quickly. We're going to go meet the ambassador. So we went and met all these dignitaries, and soon I met all these amazing people. And some of the top rabbis and archaeologists of Israel, and was invited to tour eight of the 11 Dead Scroll Caves, the underground passageways in Jerusalem, and many unusual things, and interviewed the rabbis. Through this, I fell into studying about the Ark and the Ashes and knowing about their trying to rebuild the Temple today. Because I was there for six and a half weeks, I went to their own seminaries and studied what they were teaching in their own libraries
1: and everything about the Ark and the Ashes and the Temple. It's amazing the people that you've been in touch with, and God has really done it all, hasn't he? He's just opened doors. Yes. That's exciting. We
2: offer our lives to the Lord, and since I will do whatever the Lord is willing to do with us, then he just takes us and uses us in ways we don't expect.
1: That's one of two main reasons why we're still on this earth, and I'm sure you'd agree with that. To glorify God, and boy, what you're doing, you're certainly accomplishing that, and then that others might see Jesus Christ through what we're doing. And in your ministry again, how exciting it is to see how God is is using you. He Is absolutely giving you a multitude of gifts musically and in your teaching and preaching the Holy Word of God. How long have you been working on uh, this treasure and the coming temple of God?
2: Well, I went to Israel in 1992 to preach and do concerts and met all these amazing dignitaries. I fell into finding out about this and came back, and, and I was preaching about it, my experiences about the Bible studies and all this, and people said, we want to read about this in books. Well, there were no books about this yet. Nobody had read on it yet, so I said, I don't know any books to point you to. You've got to write a book. Well, I had not thought about it, but I started working then on a first book. The next year, I wrote a second book, a first version of this, which became eventually my master's and doctoral thesis for my Bible college seminary stuff and by, by Bible degrees, they were never published exactly. More recently, after writing the book on music, they've asked me to consider writing a, another book on Bible study. So I thought I found this material. Thought this might work well, and realized how I could put it together in one volume. Also, it's in the news again. I was surprised at how much it's in the news. They've had four riots of just the Jews wanting to pray on the Temple Mount, even some people killed over it. They reenacted the, the Feast of Boots water libation ceremony, with priests dressed up like priests walking down the hill of Salam and coming back with water, pouring it out like a ceremony. And they've sent five red heifers from a rancher here in Texas to Israel to start the red heifer ceremony. We even know the rancher. He happened to be a family friend. Oh, my. And then recently, our National Security Minister of Israel, just January 3rd, walked for 13 minutes on the Temple Mountain, didn't pray, didn't even go near the Alaska Mosque or Dome of the Rock. But they accused him of trying to attack these sites and basically even maybe wanting to pray. So it's been in the news again. So I thought, well, what an interesting time to bring this up again.
1: No question about it. Hey, I understand you're going to be joining us down in... Uh Johnson City, Tennessee, that's coming up, what, March 3rd and 4th, we're going to be at Boone's Creek Bible Church, Clarity to the Chaos, how exciting. Will we be hearing about this coming up in March? Yes, sir, I think I'm preaching there and doing a concert both. Now, that's fantastic, I'm very excited about that. We know you continue to travel internationally in this ministry, preaching and teaching, those concerts, piano, trumpet, vocal music, that's exciting and specializing in teaching Bible prophecy and performing the concerts. And I understand you do all your own arrangements of traditional hymns in a classical, romantic style. Why did you decide to combine the Ark, the Temple, a Red Heifer, putting it all into one book? Those could all be separate books. Well, they're all connected together. The idea of having a Red Heifer ceremony
2: is one of the ceremonies of all sacrifices they did in the Old Testament, Sacrifice for sin and for death, like the Passover sacrifice for sin. But also this is specifically with death and to purify someone, to pray in the temple and to have priestly services and even the objects of the building itself. So then they want to rebuild the temple. The Bible says it will be operating by the middle of the tribulation period. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 2, that the temple would be destroyed, not one stone left upon another. And in verse 15, he said, later the Antichrist would commit an abomination a desolation in the temple, which means there's going to be a future temple. You see, it'll be destroyed and rebuilt. So for this to happen, they have to have it operating. And But to be operating, they have to have the ashes of the red heifer. They also believe from Ezekiel 37 that they must build not only the temple, but reset up the tabernacle, which implies finding the ark and all the furniture in the Old Testament tabernacle.
1: How well-versed do you think the average Christian is on the ark, the temple itself? The red heifer is fascinating to me. You had mentioned it earlier, and I even shared this on my daily radio program. and wasn't quite sure exactly what I was reading about five red heifers sent from Texas. And how did that happen?
2: Well, first of all, I don't believe people know as much about the Ark itself. They've heard of the Ark from maybe Sunday School and also the Indiana Jones movie Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Yes, yes. And so that kind of thing, I think, has got their idea of searching for treasure, almost like the many, many stories of history and even archaeology looking for golden treasure or something so that's, I think, the first thing people are finding and interesting. However, the Bible does talk about them raising up the tabernacle, which implies the Ark, although it's not specifically stated. So that's going to have to search for the Ark. Then, of course, they're they're also wanting to use their red heifer ashes to, in another ceremony. But to do the ash ceremony, they have to find the earlier ashes to cleanse a priest to make another sacrifice. So they have to have not only new Heifers sacrificed, they had to find the earlier ashes, like finding the earlier ark. So they a certain point connected. Now, I don't believe people today know much about it. I didn't myself, even though going to Bible college, study very much about the red heifer. But it is interesting, it's the least understood offering in the Old Testament. But they are connected together through rebuilding the temple and things like that. So I think it's a fascinating study.
1: It is indeed. Let's go back to Texas. How did they end up with five from Texas? They had already had some sent. Well, some have had some embryos and things sent from
2: Europe. They had also sent some earlier red heifer named Buah. I think it is, from Texas years ago. And then also several red heifers sent from Mississippi. And then they contacted a, a man who's directly making trips over there now from the Fort Worth Dallas area. And his name is Byron Stinson. He owns a Texas ranch here. And so they contacted him about bringing red heifers. So he felt interested in doing it. And he sent recently, I think it was in October, he sent five red heifers about six months to a year old, hoping that by the time they reach the age of three to four, that they'll still qualify. They have to not even one hair that's not red on the heifer. Even the
1: hooves, eyelashes,
2: everything has to be completely red for it to qualify.
1: It's amazing to me that that's even possible today. But how important then is that? Because so many people do not know about the red heifer, the ashes, the importance. As far as Bible prophecy goes, again, how important is the red heifer? The Bible says Jesus said that the Antichrist will commit
2: the abomination of desolation in the very middle of the tribulation. That means there's going to be a temple operating. The Antichrist goes into the temple and throws out the Ark of the Covenant, puts a statue of himself in place of that, probably sacrifices a pig, as was done years ago under Antiochus Epiphanes in 190-something B.C., which is symbolic of what would happen later. And so he'll probably do some sacrifice like this. So to, to do this abomination of desolation, Jesus mentioned they had to have the temple operating. They cannot have the temple even operating until it's standing. But even if they build the temple, they cannot use the temple, and no priest can serve in the temple until they're cleansed with the ashes of the red heifer. So they have to find the earlier ashes, cleanse the priest, commit another sacrifice, and use these ashes to cleanse the building, the property, all the articles, and the priests, and everyone that worships. And then it operating by the time the Antichrist comes. Of course, we know first will be the rapture, which will happen before the tribulation period starts. And so we know if they're going to have the temple built, we're getting closer to the rapture. And they're wanting to build the temple now. They've been talking about it for several years and many organizations going. So this is why I thought it was interesting because it shows not that we're state setting the rapture. We don't ever know when it might happen, but it could be at any moment. Because they're trying to build the temple and these things are connected to it, then the rapture is very close. Jesus is coming soon.
1: So, one of the things I've been asking all of my guests, and most all of them doing in the area of prophecy, some particular area, do you think that we're close to the coming of Christ?
2: Well, we know that Paul said that perilous times would come and that the days would get worse and worse. And by the way, the way the world has turned, it's hard to imagine the world even getting any worse. Of course, I couldn't imagine when I was 15, and I can't imagine the devastating state America's fallen to. So, it, it shows it, but the world could come back literally at
1: any moment so many are saying that, all the interviews that come on Southwest Radio Church any day now, and some people say, hey, they've been saying that forever. He's coming soon. But it's different now, isn't it? It's different because the Bible says specifically that Israel would be in their own land, that they
2: would have Jerusalem captured again, and they would have access the Temple Mount, and all this happened, first of all, coming back to the land with the Jews, then later, having the Jewish nation in 48 and 67, acquiring the Temple Mount itself and all of Jerusalem, so literally the Lord can come back. There's nothing holding him. He could have come back before and done all these things in the interim time. The Tribulation starts when the Antichrist signs a peace covenant, so the rapture could happen still at any time, but the Tribulation actually would start then, but where even those things are lining up. It's amazing how everything, of course, could be happening moment. But these are just stage setting things. For no timing, you know, the word will come back when
1: God, of course, tells him to come. Amen. We have been talking today on Watchman on the Wall with Dr. Lonnie Shipman and his new book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, available at Southwest Radio Church, and you are going to want several copies for friends of this incredible book. Available at swrc.com one eight hundred six five two eleven forty four, Dr. Shipman, you're doing evangelistic work now, or exactly what are you doing? Well, I, for many years,
2: have a piano background, so I use piano to draw people to come hear concerts, tell the hymn stories, and combine sometimes classical showpieces with hymns, not always, but often do this, and draw them to hear this, tell them the story of the music and give them the gospel. I do that in Europe and South America, the Middle East, throughout North and South America. Then here in the churches, of course, I do revivals and Bible conferences. And then I've written several books on the coming of the Lord in different areas of Bible study. So all of this is to help equip people to serve the Lord and to be prepared for His coming soon.
1: I'm very burdened to do this to get people saved and get ready to the Lord comes soon. Dr. Shippen, going to be in Tennessee here. We'll be together in a couple of weeks. Will we get to hear a little bit of your musical talent? right? They've already planned for me to do the concert there.
2: Uh, I don't know if they always will or not, but they want me to do a concert there. Probably reenact part of what I do in Europe, which means I'll use some of the classical showpieces. Here in Texas, we have one of the top two competitions of the world, the Van Cliburn International Competition, and I have won others, not that one, but others. And I have taught the, some of the people competing in this competition. And so I thought, well, I'll take these showpieces of classical music and combine them with hymns. So I'll probably use a little of that together with the traditional approach to hymn playing, a mix of those two. In the concert in Tennessee.
1: That'll be great. I'm really looking forward to hearing you play as well as hearing you preach, my brother. Thank you so much well, for you. being on Watchman on the Wall today, my brother.
2: Well, thank you so much. Very kind of you.
0: We have much more to learn from Dr. Shipman on our next program. Dr. Lonnie Shipman's brand new book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, explores the quest for the lost Ark of the Covenant in 21 locations in 10 countries, including floor plans and location of the Tribulation Temple. Join the search for the Ark, the mysterious ashes of the Red Heifer, and see how the Millennial Temple will be rebuilt by God Himself with all the world assisting Him. Order, treasure, and the coming Temple of God today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Should preachers speak about politics? Staff evangelist Josh Davis looks at what the Bible says about this divisive issue.
3: The preacher should stay silent on issues of culture and politics. That's not the job of the church. Some pastors say things like this as they try their best not to offend anyone by mentioning hot-button issues of our day like transgenderism, critical race theory, and more. They typically say something like, I'm just going to preach the Bible. However, is this approach biblical? The pages of the Old Testament are filled with preachers called prophets who thundered, Thus saith the Lord, and they shared God's truth to expose and correct sins. Oh wait, I forgot. Some pastors don't want us using the Old Testament anymore. Okay, then let's look at the New Testament. What does it have to say? John the Baptist preached the truth, even when it bled over into the political arena. In Mark six seventeen, we read how John told King Herod, "It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife." And in this sordid tale, both. King Herod and Herodias had committed sin by divorcing their spouses so that they could marry each other. Herodias was the daughter of King Herod's half-brother and had to divorce one of her uncles to marry another uncle, King Herod. Her ambition knew no moral boundaries, and what a terrible family dynamic this was. So to think the way that some modern Christians do, they would advise John the Baptist just to keep his mouth shut. What business does he have talking to King Herod about his love life? That's none of your business, preacher. Some may begin to think, and they would say something else like, just tell us how to love one another. Tell us how to get along with each other. Stop being so controversial. The pathway to hell is littered with these kinds of nice, psychologically uplifting sermons that never expose sin and encourage us to live our best life now. And sure, there is a time and there is a place to preach encouraging messages. But if that is the sum total of our spiritual life, we are missing the mark. John the Baptist was willing to take a bold stand on God's truth even when it entered into the political arena. You see, at its core, this was not a political issue. It was a biblical issue. It was an issue of truth, God's truth. John was not looking to be popular, and John was not looking to be intentionally polarizing. He simply proclaimed God's truth with holy boldness. And John the Baptist famously said of Jesus, "'He must increase, but I must decrease.'" His selfless, Jesus first attitude was willing to risk absolutely everything for the sake of God's truth. He did not care what people thought about him. He did not care what it cost him. He wanted to promote Jesus. He wanted to promote God's truth. And so John's remarks to Herod landed him in jail and through Herodias's conniving, he was beheaded. There's no record of John ever backing down while he was under arrest. He did not beg his way out of beheading. He never said anything like, please, I didn't really mean it. Just live your life however you want to. I'll start preaching to only encourage people. I won't step on any more toes. I won't mention sin. I'll never mention it again. Please just spare my life. No, he never equivocated, he never backed down, he never apologized for speaking the truth in love. We may be tempted to think something like, what a waste, why would he be willing to die on this hill? Doesn't he know there's more important things to focus on? You know, if we think this way, we are not in line with Jesus. That may sound harsh to you, but it is biblically true. While John was still in prison, Jesus said some very powerful words about this preacher. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 11. "'And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, "'What went you out into the wilderness to see, a reed shaken with the wind?' In other words, Jesus is saying, "'Did you expect to go see someone who's going to be blown back and forth and here and there?' "'But what went you out to see, a man clothed in soft clothing?' "'Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses.' But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily, or in other words, truly, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus here confirms that John the Baptist was exactly who God wanted him to be, and he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. In so doing, John fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy about the forerunner of the Messiah coming with the spirit of the prophet Elijah. That's what Jesus said in those words in Matthew chapter 11. But Jesus went beyond that as we read, And he praised John for his ministry by saying that there had never arisen a human being greater in God's sight than John the Baptist. And how could anything greater be said about anyone? Of course, Jesus points out that God does not play favorites. There's no big I's and little U's in God's kingdom, not at all. But Jesus is making his point clear. John the Baptist did not take an ill-advised stand against sin. John was right in speaking up and speaking out as he stood for God's truth in righteousness, even when it entered into the political arena and stepped on the toes of King Herod and his wife Herodias. I find it very ironic that the modern preachers who say they're just going to preach a positive message about Jesus— but they're actually ignoring what Jesus said in these areas. God's truth pervades all of life. If we as followers of Christ remain silent on the immorality of our day, we are doing a disservice to our Lord Jesus Christ and to the Word of God that we say we stand on. Further, we are ignoring the very words of our Jesus, like the ones we just read about John the Baptist. Confronting sin with a right attitude is a thoroughly godly thing to do. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. And John the Baptist was willing to speak on this biblical issue. Jesus praised him for it. And may God give us the same holy boldness to speak His truth and love in our generation today. Jesus must increase, we must decrease.
0: Join the search for the ark, the mysterious ashes of the red heifer, and see how the Millennial Temple will be rebuilt by God Himself. Order Treasure and the Coming Temple of God by Dr. Lonnie Shipman when you call 1-800-652-1144. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com.